Welcome to Bridging the Generation Podcast. I am your host, Malak Arif, and today I got another special guest for y'all. Now today, before we even get started, I'm going to need you guys to let's get this engagement up. Uh, please hit the like button. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. I'm going to give you guys a second to do that right now. All right, let's get into it. You know, today on the platform, we have a legendary vocalist, recording artist, known for hits such as Free Love, uh, There Ain't No Way, Closer Than Close, uh, Don't Let It Go To Your Head, and many, many more. She is a classically trained vocalist, uh, got her career started with Earth, Wind & Fire and ex-husband Doug Karn. Uh, she went on to record for the legendary Philadelphia International Records label uh, during the mid-70s, early 80s. And she also has worked with the late, great Grover Washington. And with no further ado, introducing to the BTG platform, the one, the only, the lovely Miss Jean Kahn. Let's go. I am your host Malak Arif and today I have another special treat for y'all. Uh, my next guest is a singer, songwriter, vocalist, musician, just all around, you know, just all around influential artists. You know, I've been a diehard fan of hers for years. She really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. And I'm talking about the one, the only, the lovely Mrs. Jean Karn, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing great now that I have you on here. Hey, working. <laughs> I'm doing great. So, like, uh, I like to ask a lot of artists when before we even start, you know, just how are you uh, maintaining and coping with all the, you know, everything that's going on in the world, uh, especially as far as the uh, this this global pandemic. How have you been maintaining? Well, I've been. I've been surviving, you know, with mustering all the patience I could find. So I'm I'm just grateful that, you know, that my family's okay and my friends. Yeah. I've lost a lot of a lot of both of those. Mm -hmm. A lot of our artists, fellow artists, but we're gonna try to represent them and pay homage to them by getting through this and then, you know, keeping their names out there. Keep soldiering on. I know we just recently lost um uh, Bruce Hawes, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know. My I, heart. Yeah, yeah. Bruce was. Well, everybody was, at Philadelphia International, you know, knew and loved him. Yeah, Bruce is amazing. He oh, was amazing. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, so yeah, rest in peace, Bruce Hawes. You know, the late That's Bruce right. Hawes. So anyway, here we are. You know, let's 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 go ahead and get this thing started. And you know, like I said, I'm a I am a fan of yours, uh, uh, Jane. And I want to go back to the beginning because I feel like you have a very interesting story. And 
you know, a lot of people I feel don't don't know that even fans, you know, we love the music so much, but sometimes we don't do our due diligence to learn more of the artists and know, and know their uh, their history. So that's what uh, we do here at Bridging the Generation Podcast. So with that said, I want to start from the beginning. Um, I know that you are from, you know, you're, you're originally from uh, Columbus, Georgia. I was born in Columbus, Georgia, lived there the first year of my life. Okay. Then we moved to Valdosta, Georgia. Mm. My father managed theaters okay. in Columbus and in Valdosta. No uh, my brother was born in Valdosta, Georgia. It's further south. Mm-hmm. And then, then we moved to, you know, to Atlanta. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, at, at a very young age, uh, music enters your life, you know, you learn how to play, you know, various instruments. So talk about, uh, that, uh, you know, talk about that experience and, and what led you or what inspires you to really, uh, take a hold of music and, and, and allow it to, to be something that you just love and enjoy. Well, you know, I wish I knew cause it, I, I was involved in music since before I could remember because because my mother used to tell me about any about a concert I'd give to anybody that came to our house like when I was three okay she said and I would stand like this and I'd put on my ballet slippers okay and do them a concert right there in the living room mm. and I started started in the church choir at four then piano lessons started at five and mm. it was just music all the way up. You know, I was a music major in college, and I was in the band and the orchestra and and the, and the choir in in high school and college. Okay. And it was just a musical life, if you will. <laughs> I know that's right. So, what were some of your influences? You know, musically. You know. Oh gosh, the the influences moved during different different stages of my life like early on like as a little girl I loved singers like 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 Mahalia Jackson and and I remember as a teenager seeing Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. traveling with her father Reverend C.L. Franklin mm-hmm. he was skinny girl in a choir robe singing wow. with her father at the city auditorium in Atlanta in fact she sang a song in a land where we'll never grow old. And I, you know, I was, I was accompanying uh, church choirs then. So, so I added that song to my solo repertoire. And, and I, in fact, I sing it today, you know, Uh, so, so it's, 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 it started out, like I said, with, with a lot of gospel singers, a few blues singers because I got my first record player, you know, the little record player in the box. Okay. Yeah, it was pink, like my granddaughter <laughs> did. Okay. And, and um, I, you know, collected records, 45, 78s, mm-hmm. which are the same size as a 33. The 33. See, I'm, I'm familiar with the 33, like. Yeah. Like these. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was about that that size in, in diameter, but but they were thicker. Okay. And they, and they proceeded, well, they came along at the same time as the as the 45s, you know, okay. the smaller ones with the bigger hole in them that had to go over the spindle on the record player. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I uh so I, I collected records. My my folks 
would let me, you know, let me buy any kind of, you know, records I wanted. If I wanted blues or gospel or, or okay. R&B, they, they were fine with the genre. Uh, and my dad, you know, played a little, a little piano by ear. And he was from New Orleans. And so he loved the big bands. So I got to hear the big bands early. Like Louis Armstrong and all those guys. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Louis Armstrong was older than him, but he was he was a legend in, even when he was a little boy. Daddy said Louis Armstrong was, and so you know he played for money, you know, around the around New Orleans. Okay. And yeah, and uh, then you know, like I said, church choir. I was the accompanist, and I started training voices then. And I mm -hmm. still train voices today. You know, I've been okay. I've been vocal coaching all of all of the folks that I produce for Norman Connors, okay. um, Phyllis Hyman and Glenn Jones and and Ada Retha and mm. you name it. I you know I would before we take them in the studio for me to produce okay. their vocals. Norman 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 Connors would take them in. Well, still does, still does, because he has product that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he would do the tracks. I'd come in, do a little training with them for the vocals, and then we record the vocals. So I've been been doing that since since that was twelve. I, I started Oof. doing that. And gosh, um, I guess my first record label was. Uh, Technically, it was the first recordings I did were Earth, Wind, and Fire's two first albums on Warner Brothers, The Need of Love and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh. Uh, then Doug and I did at that same studio, Sunset Sounds in Hollywood, mm -hmm. we did the first black the black jazz uh, albums. The Spirit of the uh, the New World and the Revelation Projects. Yeah, Spirit of the New yeah. Land. Revelation. Spirit of the New Land, I probably. Yeah, and, and Eyes. Mm. Those were the Black Jazz albums. Um, like I said, uh, we did that first one in, in Sunset Sound Studio. Um, then then I went with Norman Connors. But let's go back. Let's, let's slow it down. Let's slow it down. So let's take it back, you know, because... Um, Again, you have a very interesting story. So, you know, growing up and, and you know, as you are, you know, and embracing your talent, embracing your skills, did you have a certain direction of music that you wanted to go to? Because again, you know, you love jazz, you love R&B, you love gospel. Was there a certain particular genre that you saw yourself in or where you saw yourself flourishing, you know, as, you a, know, as a kid? I, I love so many styles coming up that it was like changing clothes right i you know i could change one style you know to the other now the listening public of course thought that i was a jazz singer a pure jazz singer first because that was the first recording because doug and i did that but like i said before that was earth wind and fires albums mm -hmm. and, and you know what their genre was because they broke they broke grounds this this was right before the uh, the head to the uh, keep your head to the sky album. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just before Jessica claimed. Just before so Jessica Cleaves. Exactly right. Because uh, Sherry Sherry Scott was the female lead then. Um, there's a song that she did was a big song for them. It was called 
I think about loving you. I love that song. Whoo, that's a classic. Yeah. I love that song. I think about loving you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I love you. Oh, she, she sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Sherry, Sherry's doing fine. She, uh, let's see, last time I talked to her, she was living in Chicago. You know, that's where okay. they came from. Because I we met them because Doug and I eloped from Atlanta. We were still in college. We eloped to Hollywood. Now talk about that before you go, 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 we go any further. You know, a lot of fans don't know that you went to, you know, you went to Juilliard. I was, I was, the, okay, the year I was supposed to, the semester I was supposed to start Juilliard. Okay. Doug and I eloped. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So talk about what, led, again, uh, continue. Talk about what led to you working with Earth, Wind, and Fire on those first two projects. Okay. Doug and I eloped, went to California, lived in this apartment complex. It was an apartment hotel. Gotcha. In in Hollywood on Franklin, mm -hmm. and Earth, Wind, and Fire came from Chicago mm -hmm. to that same building. They lived in that same building, and that's mm. how, that's how we met met Maurice. In fact, Maurice knocked on the door one day. Doug and I were rehearsing. We were we had already done the lyrics and everything for the first mm -hmm. album for, for Infinite, the first album on Black Jazz Records, and. He knocked on the door and he said, he said, I heard the voice of an angel. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I followed it up the stairs. <laughs> and, and and that was, you know, and after that was when he um he invited both myself and, and Doug to appear on those two albums. Okay. And Doug played organ in the in fact, there's some arpeggios on the organ, on the B3 organ, on I think about loving you. Oh, okay. When you listen to it next time, you'll hear it. Um, I have that. I have that album. I have that uh, album. Yeah, that's a great album. Oh man. Uh, yeah, and so we all lived in that building. That was the that was the complex that Janis Joplin passed away in. Ooh. And most of the most of the residents were the artists for okay. the most part. So, so in fact, the the resident the front desk guy had been on gun smoke for like mm. two years so, okay so he favored i guess he favored artists because i met so many folks in there joe zafanul uh, mm. oh gosh uh folks from laugh in oh my goodness uh the chambers brothers reverend ike uh roberta flack okay just just numerous folks you know artists lived okay. in, in, in that in that complex and that was where uh janice joplin and her band mm. were recording and she that was where she she passed away in in that in that complex okay okay yeah. Yeah. so 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 here we are you know it was uh 1972 and you're working with doug you know, talk about that time, you know, uh, putting those first two uh, projects together on the Black Jazz label. What was that experience like? Because, you know, again, we know you as a um, R&B singer, but a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of us, we forget that you uh, initially started out doing, you know, jazz. So talk about that. Yeah, recording wise. Yeah, I initially started started doing jazz. Uh, but uh, 
it, it was it was just this this wonderful transition. Okay, the songs on Infinite, John Coltrane's uh, "A Love Supreme," acknowledgement of Love Supreme, uh, Horace Silver's "Peace," um, McCoy Tyner "Contemplation," uh, on the second album, Lee Morgan's "Search for the New Land." Uh, we put lyrics to these to those songs. Cause those were our favorite albums. I like the last song on it, that new moon. That's my that's my cut right there. I love that oh, new moon. You mean moonshine? Yeah. I thought it was new new moon. That's it. Yeah, it's called new. I thought it's called new. Moonchild. And that oh. was, in fact, that album that that song was named for Jeannie, the the daughter you just saw who helped me get on. Yeah. Mars. Okay. Yeah. Cause she's a cancer, and that's Moonchild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my that's my favorite cut on it. I, oh, I love I, I love I love those first two projects. I really I have to tell Doug about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's amazing because, like I said, when I I listen to your 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 later work, it's is it's mind blowing to see the transition. You know, but the quality remains the same. You know, even though there's two two very different genres. You know, that's one thing I love about you. You know how you. You know, put together uh, music. So again, let's let's talk this. Uh, you know, here we go. You know, now you 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 just uh, finished these two projects working with Doug. Now it's the well, you three, know three, three. Oh, you you did three. Yeah, Infinite Eyes, Search for the New Land, Spirit of the New Land, which Spirit of New Land. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was Lee Morgan's song that we that was. I thought it was um, only two. Then, no, then Revelation. Oh yes. How can I forget Revelations? I'm, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you, so it, 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 uh, talk about that experience. I mean, did you ever realize like, you know, this is, did you feel like, okay, this is where I belong? Because again, you know, the music that you, you did later, it kind of, kind of shifted away from that particular sound. So, you know, what, did you ever see yourself as being a, you know, you know, Dinah Washington or, you know, a Billy Holiday, because those were some really good projects and you really pulled, you know, you pulled that type of that job. You pulled that off really well. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've sung, you know, Dinosaur. What a difference a day makes. Exactly. Oh, classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Doug and I were working on the albums and like I said, when we were doing mm -hmm. the albums with Earth, Wind and Fire, we did clubs in L.A. And, okay. and I sang standards, you know. So that was <laughs> no dignity, you know. It was whatever genre you were doing at the time right. was the one okay. you loved the most. Okay, okay. Including opera, because if you if you noticed on the on the first album on the Infinite album, uh, there's John Coltrane. It's called Welcome. Mm. It has an operatic opening. Yes. Oh. So it's it's all you know it's all music. It's like a hand, and the fingers are various genres and mm. various disciplines of music. But it's all the hand. So mm. I never wow. I never put those lines of demarcation. You know, because it's all it's all wonderful. I no doubt. I understand. So so talk about it. Like I, I'm I'm I, I'm listening to 
you know, your, 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 the way you talk. And I, I mean, what you just built out is amazing. So talk about that five octave vocal range. When did you realize, like, I have a five octave, octave vocal range? Like, when did that, when did you develop that? You know, I never even, I never even measured it. I read that. Somebody, there's, there's, there's a couple of folks on YouTube that give the ranges of singers. Okay. Yeah. How do, how do they measure that? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. One's called, uh, I love Aretha Franklin and one's called something like Iria or I don't, I don't know exactly how you spell it, but they, they have the female singers okay. and they give the ranges and they give you examples of the songs where they do from, from, you know, from low B flat to mm. high C sharp, you know, that kind of thing. So, I never, I never measured my range. Now, did you? Did never been important to me. Now, back then, did you know? Did you were you aware of like you know vocal ranges, you know octaves and things yes, of that I nature? I played piano and organ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. instrument. I know the range and transposition for a lot of the instruments I play. You know, clarinet and bassoon and oboe, right. English horn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know the the ranges. Okay. I never, so, I never measured it. You know where singing was concerned. I know what, when I do the Messiah, you do the, the soprano okay. um, arias, and, and I've got some arias that are coloratura. Mm. So. Okay. Okay. I, I never, I never counted. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's amazing. So what, you know, again, you're a vocalist and you're a musician, you know, so what do you enjoy more? whichever I'm doing at the time, honestly. Okay. It's, it's that, you know, it's, it's that integrated for me. So. Okay. Whichever, whichever style. No doubt. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. So here we are, you know, now, you know, it's the mid seventies and you appear, you know, you, you land in Philadelphia. Now what led, uh, you know, what led to you, you know, um, working with uh, Norman Commons, because I believe he's from Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, actually, Norman did grow up in Philadelphia. Um, so how did you end up in Philadelphia working with Norman Commons on those, uh, his, his first, um, not his first two projects, but on the uh, the Saturday Night Special Project and the Slewford Project? Okay. Um, when, after I left Doug's group, I sat down with a friend and made a list of the folks I'd like to perform with to record with, you know, to go on the road with. And they were, okay, Norman Connors had just left um, Pharaoh Saunders. Pharaoh Saunders. Yeah, and he was going on his own. Because I remember Doug and I were doing the Village Vanguard. Mm. And Norman came in that night with his first promo pictures. <laughs> so so he, he gave me a picture Gave Norm, uh, gave Doug a picture, and so he was on the list. Rasan Roland Kirk was on the list to my board, because Doug and I used to, you know, be really good friends with Rasan and Dorthan, his his mm. wife. And Dorthan is still a, a giant figure in jazz. Yeah, I was about to say you talk about some heavy hitters now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you talk about some heavy hitters. Yeah, and Thad Jones and Mel Lewis were the were the other. Other, other big band 
that that I thought you know I would just love working. And they they, they ended up working uh, uh, did a project on Philadelphia International as well. You know, I I realized that they're in the there's a compilation. There's some there's like a what, about a ten a ten CD set. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that until then until I saw all the listings. You know, on yeah. on Philly. Yeah, yeah, they um, Dad and Mel. They did one. I think they did one. Just one album on yeah, Philadelphia. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, they were a consideration, and I contacted all of them. They were all pro. You know, my joining them and that so that proved another you know problem situation. <laughs> and well, them. but Dad and Mel were going to to Russia. Maybe it was Russia. Mm-hmm. They were going somewhere in Europe, but they were going in a week. Okay. So I, you know, I, I was afraid I couldn't get all the material under right. my belt, and I didn't have, um, I didn't have a passport at the time. Mm. I'd never been out of the country. So wow. So even with, so, the time, all that time you working, you know, with with Doug and Earth Wind and Fire and. But you I never, never worked with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Just recorded with. Them. Oh, you just record. Okay. Yeah, okay. Doug and I never we never worked with them. We just recorded those two albums with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so again, let's let's go back. Let's talk about this. You know, this collaboration with the legend. You know, legendary drummer. You know, Norman Connors. Talk about you know again. You know that experience and and you guys putting together one of my favorite. Uh, songs, not just by you, but also by Norman Connors. You know, talk about that Valentine love and you know Skin Diver and Dee Dee, but in particular, you know, let's talk about that that Valentine love because that is a, a bona fide classic right there. Yeah, that's a good one. In fact, I um, the one time I've gone out during the pandemic was on Valentine's weekend. Okay. To, um, yeah, at a Keystone Corner in Baltimore. Yeah. It was. Uh, you know, because I haven't worked the whole year. I haven't worked since since the end of the since I left the um, the Soul Train cruise. Okay. January of twenty. And what do you mean by the Soul the Soul Train cruise? It was it, it's oh like, the Soul Train okay I, the cruise I, I I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking you. I thought you said the soul. I'm thinking you said the soul train crew. Oh no! You mean like the like the boat? Some of the soul train dancers on the cruise. It was so much fun. It it was it was it was wonderful. It was okay. And I've done a lot of the you know the music cruises. That one you know and and um, Don's son was you know heading everything and it was it was just so lovely um so i haven't worked since then so i um uh todd barkin who's who's the um the owner of keystone corner whom i worked with in the 70s uh in san francisco in the original keystone corner uh called me about because doug and i did did keystone corner last year when they first opened because they've only okay. been a couple of years uh, in baltimore uh, he called me and they were this was before they shut everything down okay in in, in uh, baltimore 
that was what that was when Doug and I worked. But he mm-hmm. they had a, a window where and and the only way I was able to do it, reconcile being able to do that was that okay, my my musicians had to all I had their negative certifications, you know, yeah. for, for, for COVID. Um Todd and his wife were negative, the sound man, uh, and the tech, and no people, though. We were, I was performing to chairs, uh, and and we recorded two shows in, in one night on Valentine's Friday, and they played them back on Valentine's Saturday and Sunday. So... Otherwise, I I hardly go out of the house. There's weeks wow. that I don't even go out of the house. I don't do the grocery shopping, you know. So I'm you still you're you're, uh, you're 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 in uh, Philadelphia, right? Yeah, but normally I spend half of the year in Atlanta. Okay. Haven't okay. been able to get down there. Okay. What am I going to do? Beam down? I'm not. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. No Can't do that. To Atlanta? No. Yeah. No busing? No. No. I'm supposed to be going down to Atlanta too in, in two weeks in, in in three weeks. Yeah. You got your you got your vaccination? Ah, uh, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm 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 gonna have, I'm gonna have to get it though, you know. But you okay? But you need two weeks after your second vaccination. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, you know. yeah. If you really wanted to protect. Okay. So like 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 let's let's let's. Let, let's go back. Let's let's talk about you. We 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 getting off topic a little bit. So let's go. <laughs> let's go back to this song right here because I, I I you know you give me some good information, but I want to I want to know and the fans want to know about the making of this song Valentine Love. Like, what was that like? Did you ever realize like this song was going to be a classic? And what was it like working with uh you know working with Norman Connors? Well, Norm, Norman's a dear, you know, we're both Pisceans. So we, you know, we get along cool because, because water signs are, you know, we're real mutable. Our daughter's Pisces <laughs> upstairs. Yeah, yeah, we're cool. We're cool. Okay. Uh-oh, you sound like you, you <laughs> they have the other kind of Pisces because, you know, they, they swim both ways. Right. According to which Pisces, which direction of Pisces you got. Okay. 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 I know that's right. So, so talk about that. I, that Saturday, I, what was it like again? You know, I want to know, like when you guys recorded that song, because that song hit, I believe that was your first hit. prior to then. You never, you, you, that was, you, you, you never had a song that charted. And yeah. that was the first time that. that was the first time that you had a song that actually charted and it charted pretty good. It was a top 10 hit. Yeah. So what what was that like? And, you know, did you ever think that this song was going to be the classic that it is now? Because this song plays everywhere, you know. It does. It does. Actually, we were in the studio in L.A. Michael Henderson was a bass player on the session. Yes. Um, and he sings uh, lead vo- uh, co-lead vocals on that uh, track as well. Yeah. And it's his composition. This composition, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we took a break um during during the session, and Michael sat down on the keyboards 
and he started doing, you know, those lines. Right. Right. And he started playing that line on the keyboard, and everybody gathered around him and was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> and he Mike, said, Mike is a great singer. I gotta, I gotta add that. Mike is a, is a very you know, we know him as being this uh, exceptional bassist, you know, working with Miles Davis and yeah. a, bunch of other, a bunch of other guys, but he is a, he's an amazing vocalist. So. I had never heard Michael sing. Wow. We didn't even know he could sing. Like I said, he was doing bass. Right. On, on, on the session. Mm -hmm. And he started singing, you know, the first line and he worked up the, you know, the the whole the chords for the whole song he did a did a rough sketch of the of the lyrics okay. instead of going back to the song we were working on before the break we went we went uh went back on on session and he did the track he did a mouth arrangement for the band you know for the rhythm section of okay. the track and then we went in the booth and did did the um did the, did the vocals okay did those sketchy lyrics because if you listen to the lyrics it'll it says i'm sending you this valentine and hope that you'll be mine and if this valentine doesn't reach you it's okay <laughs> it's, it's okay i love that part exactly. right there <laughs> and and we would just you know it was kind of extemporaneous for the most part. I like that word. I'm going to have to add that to my vocabulary. Right? <laughs> yeah, without planning, you know. No, I know what it means. I, I, I don't hear that word that often, but oh. I, I, I fell in love with that word years ago. But I, I, I need to start using that more because I love the yes, way that, that you, I love the way that you say it. Turn, you know, right. Jazz turn. Because turn right. improvisation in improvisation, jazz exactly. is extemporaneous, you know. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's that's how that's how Valentine Love came about. Okay. So what was it like? You know, knowing this this is your you guys' first hit. You know, what was that feeling like? Did did you feel like you know I, I I've arrived because you know up until that time you put out two three critically acclaimed projects, um, but there was not big sellers. But then you get this top ten hit, you know, and boom. You know this this song is being played everywhere you know what was that what, what was that feeling like just hearing a song on the radio because i, I don't was that your uh first song being ever uh, played on the radio that you that you ever heard uh well see infinite see the jazz albums right were really a big deal in the jazz world right right no 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 i'm not i'm i'm, I'm not but for uh, norman, right right but for norman yeah that was it was it was a big deal and right. i i've never i've never recorded or planned an album or a project uh thinking what it'll sell or how much success no I'm doubt. so into the, you know, the feeling and the gratification yeah. from right. you know from the finished product okay. that that i don't know i guess it goes along with not knowing what my range is <laughs> you just enjoy the the uh the creation i do you know creating really you know creating the music you yeah, know it's life that's the lifeline for me now you work now you you uh you also you did the vocal production on uh those uh three songs on that project 
you know, so so what was that like? You know, was that your um, first time doing vocal production or did, did you do vocal production on the three projects with Doug? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did the vocal production on the three projects with Doug. Okay. Yeah. And and all and like you said, Norman's Norman's um, those albums and the Invitation album uh, that was with Ada Aretha, uh, Phyllis's. Phyllis's first album. Um, in fact, I had signed with Philly International and I couldn't do any outside projects. So Norman and I were looking for looking for a singer to take my place on, you know, on his recording. And you got Phyllis. <laughs> Phyllis. You got Phyllis. Yep, she and her band. We're working in Florida. They came to New York to work at, yeah. at McKell's, this small jazz club in Manhattan. Okay. And Norman called me, asked me to um, to meet him at McKell's. Phyllis mm -hmm. and her band were performing there. And it took two bars. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. You know, it was like. <laughs> and, and the rest, you know, that was her first recording. Talk about your relationship with Phyllis Hyman. What was that? You know, because um, this was this was before she really hit, you know, got on the scene, you know, and a lot of people uh, forget about those times that, you know, because I know she did uh, uh, Betcha by Golly Wow. Uh, that, with was the first song. that was that, the first song with, uh, with, with Norman Connor. So uh, talk about your relationship with, with Phyllis and you know, how special of, a, of an artist, you know, she was, because she ended up eventually working on Philadelphia International as well. Right, right. Um, Phyllis, Phyllis was, had this, this beautiful heart and she, but she had some, she had issues, but an amazing voice. Amazing voice. Amazing voice. And, and, you know, and, and a real sweetheart, but she, she had, she had jagged edges, <laughs> and she had, you know, she had some, some, some substance issues, and and she grew up bipolar and manic depressive because her mother was manic depressive. She's also from Philadelphia as well. Uh she's from. Uh, she she was living in Philly. When she when she died, she had a place in Philly. She had a place in New York, okay. and um, but she she grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Buffalo. No, Pittsburgh. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah um, but but she she like I said, she lived in in New York and in Philly, and she she was she we were cool. We were really cool. Okay. She never used profanity around me, and nobody else can say that. <laughs> we got along beautifully in the studio. Okay. Because um, there was one album of hers that Norman uh, did some of the production on, and there were two songs where I did some high notes for her, because I, you know, I arranged the backgrounds and stuff, and okay. and. And and we 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 got along just fine because she told like I said she told me about her suicidal tendencies mm. and you know and everybody's 
that who knew about that was trying to convince her to the contrary. She got help sometimes, uh, but she never she never stuck with it for long. She 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 it looked like she you know she battled that pretty much her entire career and and it's sad her entire life because her mother was manic depression she told me right right and it's unfortunate because we all love her you know we 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 love her music we we you know she she has this very special voice and you know we we miss her even to this day and a good spirit I mean a good spirit. You know, and by the way, did Michael um, also work with her? I, I believe. Yes, they did uh, can, can we can we fall in love again? Yeah, uh, uh, and we both need each other. And we both need each other. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I forget about so that one. When Michael and I, you know, perform together, we do those too. Okay. Do it. Yeah. So you still do you still um you know uh, uh you know see Mike Michael Connors I mean uh, Norman Connors and uh, Michael Henderson you still see them around and or, oh, absolutely you know. yeah yeah. In fact, Michael and I usually work together on on Valentine's Day, and you know, and we work together a lot. He's still playing that bass. You betcha. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, he. That, that guy. He he is a legend. I, I love some Michael uh, yeah. Michael Henderson. You know. Yeah, you know, he did thirty albums with Miles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He um I believe he played he, he played on a uh, bitches brew, if yep, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, all that all that late sixties early seventies uh that was Michael. Yeah, see, he was a teenager. Yeah, he was a kid when he started with with yeah. Yeah. Even when you guys recorded uh um Valentine Love, he was only probably maybe 24, 25. He was young. Yeah, well, we were all young when we. Yeah, did. I know, I know. So look, let's fast forward. So you know, you 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 recorded, you know, you did, you uh, you recorded two more songs on the Slewfoot project, and you know, which was another exceptional uh, uh album by uh by Norman Carter's, and boom, nineteen seventy six, you sign you 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 land at Philadelphia. International Records. Now, talk about that transition because, you know, with the talent that you have, you should have been had a solo deal. But, you know, I'm glad, you know, timing is everything. So here we are, 1976. Talk about that. Wow. It was um, Kenny Gamble mentioned the fact that that his when, when I when I first met him, his neighbor had given him the Infinite album. So he had followed my career, he said. And then when he heard I was a you know solo, I was with Norman and I, I performed with Duke Ellington and he got this this keyboard player in Philly to get in touch with me. So we talked about my my signing with the label. It was there was a, a Muhammad Ali about in Atlantic City. Okay. So came in Philly, talked to him, and everybody in the building had left to go to AC, you know, to see the bout. So we were gonna talk. He was gonna he was gonna get on up there too. Okay. We talked through the bout. And and you know I, d- I decided to you know to go with them because it was it was a family it was a family company. It still, it still is. They're still right. my family. Right, right. Now, were you, were you, you know, like familiar 
with you know Philadelphia International? Did you ever did you you know did you ever realize like these this these guys are going to go down in history as some of the greatest songwriters of all time slash producers, greatest songwriter and producers of all time? I never thought about it that way, but I knew. <laughs> I knew that every song everybody on the label had had recorded because they that was the music that was the music that that touched me and touched you know touched the country and and the world. The sound of Philadelphia. So what was it like? You know, here it is. You know, you you release your your, your self titled project in nineteen seventy six with the first single I believe was Free Love. Right. Right. So. You know, here's a song that's you know that that was very exper ex experimental, and it, it, it is in it, this song, it, it it talks about a lot of uh, issues as far as you know what was going on, you know, around that time, and things that's still prevalent and relevant to that to uh, in in today's society too. So talk about that. What was that like recording that song, and how did you feel about recording a song of that uh, of, of that nature? Well, the the reason I felt so comfortable going with Philly in the first place was because because they had messages. You know, there's a message in the music. In mm -hmm. fact, Kenny Gamble has a has a podcast show. I'm sure you've of course seen it. <laughs> message in the music. Yeah. So I I love the fact that, you know, because the music that Doug and I did, you know, the, the three black jazz albums. Right. Black Jazz is celebrating 50 years. Okay. We're on our 50th anniversary. Uh, so that's, that's a, whoa, 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 time out, time out. So Black Jazz and Philadelphia International is celebrating 50 years. Yep. Okay, I just had to stop you for one second, but continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just did I didn't realize that. True, yeah, yeah. So it was it was a smooth transition, and I, I love the messages. There's a shortage of good men. Uh, you know, songs like they did for the OJs, like Backstabber and Wake Up Everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was, there was that message. And, and the slogan was understand why you dance. So you're getting positively programmed while you're boogieing. While you enjoy eggs, while you enjoy, while you enjoy yourself. So what was it like just walking into the, what, what was it like the first time Walking into that studio, uh, Sigma Sound Studio, or or uh, three hundred nine uh, Broad Street. Yeah, right, South Broad Street. Yeah, so what was it like just walking into those doors and just seeing all these amazing musicians and you know these these legendary artists? You know, what was that like? Yeah, well, I um, I would come in, you know, when I'd come into town to perform. Okay. Before, before I started going to the studio, I would visit the building. And you know, I just walk around and looking because the different rooms. You know, Dexter had a room, Tom Bell, Tom, Tom, yeah, Tom uh, Bell, of course, and, uh, and, mighty, and mighty, mighty, mighty three music, mighty three, yeah, um, uh, Bunny Siegler. Everybody had their, you know, their production room. Okay, so I could just peek in, you know, and introduce myself. Everybody was cool. They embraced you. They didn't, you know, there were no big egos. I was so impressed with that. And so it's like, wow, these are the people. These are the real folks. And and it just, after I signed, it flowed very smoothly. Um, 
Gamble would urge me not to sing anything. I didn't want to sing. I'd come in and see what, what every writer had for me, you know, and choose the songs that way. It was, it was just ideal. It was, couldn't have, bless you. <laughs> That's my son. Somebody's got the sniffles. That's my little boy. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. He's talking to me, hi. Yeah, he said hello. Hello. <laughs> um, not yet, not yet. Hold on, son. So Are you uh, gonna take your your seat in in a little while. No, no, no. <laughs> you want to come? Come here, son. Come here. You want to get in? Come here for a second. Here we go. Come in. Come around. This is my little boy. Say hi. This is Jenny Carr. Say hello. How are you? Hi. What's your name? Tell me your name. Malak. Oh, you're Malak. Are you Malak. junior or the second? He's the, he's the second. All right. Lovely meeting you, Malak the second. All right. Go back and finish playing with your toys. So tell him bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> He's wonderful. Yeah, it's my little guy. It's my little man. You know, I have him sitting here, you know, first time. So uh so here we go. You know, again, that project, I I love that album. A lot of great uh songs came off that album. I believe uh Gamble Hub, they produce wrote and produced half of the project, but you work with, I mean, just when I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the track list right here, and I'm like, wow. This is amazing, you know, so, you know, here we are, you know, let's go into the second project. Now, okay. this is the one, this is the one that really, I, I think that C-Man is your, your, your place in R&B history. Really? Okay. In my opinion, uh, you know, in my opinion, you know, uh, happy to be with you. You know, this is this is this is my uh, my favorite Philadelphia International uh, project uh, by you, and it's it's close because the first one is amazing. All of them are great, but those first two, whoo! And 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 you you um, one of the singles was "Don't Let It Go to Your Head." I believe that was the the, the biggest hit that came off that project. You bet, you bet. Yeah, yeah. So, what was it like? You know, talk about that song. You know. Um, can again another Kenneth Gamble, Leon Huff, uh, 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 a song, uh, no, a production, and they also, uh, you know, wrote the song. So, you know, talk about that song a little bit because we, we, that's another classic, and we, we want to know. Yeah, yeah, that one, that's like become my theme song. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, when when Gamble gave me the, you know, the, it was a cassette back okay. then uh, with him singing the lyrics and playing guitar and and strangely enough he said hold on time out time out i have to stop mr gamble plays guitar yeah yeah he he's a singer too i know now i know he's i heard and because like you i said about I, kenny gamble and the romeo romeos I, 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 i've interviewed russell Tompkins, uh oh, sure. Shirley, okay. shirley jones uh Gerald also so <laughs> they all say that he's a great singer, but I had no idea that he played the guitar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and, go, and when he gave me the tape, he said, "Don't worry about the the uh, the backgrounds. Huff and I got that." And I said, "Cool, you know." So I finished my my lead vocals. The track was done. Finished my lead vocals. Went what? 
20 feet to his office from the right. studio door and said, you know, don't is ready for y'all to come in and do the backgrounds with him. And so Gamble said, oh, that's okay, Gene, you got it. And I said, but, but you promised because <laughs> I, I thought that was cool because I didn't I didn't know they had sung on anybody's products so I said yeah let's do this and so so of course they they acquiesced and came came in with me and and sang the backgrounds on that with me so who did who um who were the uh the background singers I believe it was like uh Barbara um Barbara Ingram Barbara Ingram Paula Benson Yvette Benton, yeah, yeah, they were the sweeties. In the fact, sp- they went out with Patty LaBelle. They and they sang on the spinners. Eighty percent of the, <laughs> of the product, you know, yeah, yeah. They came out of came out of Philly International. Okay, so those first two projects were those first two projects recorded at three hundred nine, or was that record uh, was that recorded at Sigma? Well, Sigma, there was a Sigma in three hundred nine. Right, that's why I asked, you know, so which yeah. one? And there was another Sigma on 12th Street. That's the one, I, that's the that's the one that we, when we think of Sigma sound, we, that's most people think, one. Yeah. right, we think of that one. We think of uh, uh, 212 North Street. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then we, and, you know, and when we think no, of Philip, 212 12th Street. 212 tw- uh, 12th Street, which I just visited uh, last year, but when we think of 309 Broad Street, we think of that just being the headquarters. We forget that there was studios in 309. There was that one studio, the, the original Sigma Sounds. Mm. Yeah. Which was also uh, the home of Cameo Parkway before it was Philadelphia International. Right, right. Because I remember uh, Huff said when they bought that that building that he you know, it brought him to tears to think that he used to slip in there to listen to them recording <laughs> and they would chase him out of that building. And then there he is. He owns it. As he owns it. Oh, yeah. man, that's success. That's hey, no doubt. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. That's talk about, uh, you know, turn it, turning the tables. <laughs> so, so you went on to, rec- uh, um, to record two more projects, uh, on Philadelphia uh, International. So talk to me, what were some of your most memorable moments, you know, being uh, working with Kenneth Gamble, Leon Huff, Dexter Wanzo, just, you know, just these legendary artists, you know, talk about, you know, that experience, you know. It was, it was unforgettable. You know, it was, it was like working with your uncles and your brothers (laughs) and and your in-laws. It was, it was as good as it gets musically. Because okay. I thought I thought going with Motown would be the same way. Yeah, because you did one album with Motown, I believe. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it wasn't the same the same vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, there were good folks there. In fact, Rick James, you know, my buddy. <laughs> How often did you see did you did you see um, uh, Barry Gordy? I saw Barry. Well, I talked to Barry more than I saw him. I heard he was like, I heard he was like, like, like the Phantom. You didn't see him much around that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they had moved to to L.A. Right, right. When I went with them, and he was dealing. He was in, in some movies, doing movies and things. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But but that that marriage wasn't wasn't like Philly. 
And of course, the only the only reason reason I went with them was because Gamble was getting ready to you know to close Philly down because he put some of the artists on on what was the name of that on TSOP on TSOP label, OJ's and a few yeah. others before you know he he shut everything down, and mm. it was it was Gamble's uh, president of Philly International who negotiated my contract with Motown. Wow. Because I thought, well, you know, this is a family company. Right. Motown would be, you know, just as wonderful. Yeah. But it was a whole different, different vibe. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, 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 now let me go back to, you know, your time at Philadelphia. I, I like to ask artists that work with um, Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff because those are my, uh, Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff, those guys are my favorite songwriters and producers of all time you but bet. welcome to the club but what a lot of people don't realize and this is something that you know i talk with deanna williams and we had this conversation when i interviewed her as well and one i don't think people realize the amount of pressure that was on mr gamble as far as like i don't think we've ever seen anything like that like talk about this he, he was not only writing uh, him and Leon Huff, not you know, but they're writing, they're producing songs and running a label. Did you ever like did you ever think about that? Like, how are you able to do this? Like that I could not even imagine running a label and I have to write and produce songs for these artists. Like that's 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 insane. <laughs> it, it, it takes a, a very special kind of mentality and talent. I mean, you got to be talented in so many areas, and you got to be able to pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time. You know, that that, kind of thing. That's what I'm talking about, and I, mm -hmm. I, I think I don't think a lot of people. When I think of a lot of the great songwriters and producers of our time, they didn't run labels, and you know, like that, like they were writing and producing songs for that was not. They weren't these songs that they were writing and producing. They were hits, you know. There's other artists that uh, uh, songwriters and producers that wrote songs and probably ran a label, but they were writing hits. Yeah. And you were a part of that. You hundreds were a part of that. Hundreds of top 10 songs. I mean, hundreds. Then, then if you don't, and that is if you don't count songs like Me and Mrs. Jones that sold 6 million copies. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. That and, takes and, a very special individual. Right, right. So now, were you living in Philadelphia at this time? No, I I never really lived in Philly. I was a part-time Philadelphian then because um, I came in for, you know, for months at a time to record and okay. I performed in the area so much till I, you know, Philly claimed me and I claimed Philly. <laughs> yeah, but now, you know, I'm in Philly half a year. Okay, okay. So, you, like I said, you did one project, um, you did the uh, the Trust Me project on Motown, which I, I, I like that project. That's a pretty solid project. Uh, but the, the, the album that really, you know, that I remember, I vividly remember this project because I was a kid. The, the stuff that you did um, on Philadelphia International, um, I wasn't born. Like when you did Don't Let It Go To Your Head, That's I was born that year. <laughs> so I was born that year. So I know about the, the, uh, that catalog just through uh, you know, just my research, just being a Philadelphia international fan, just me being a Jane Card fan. But what I vividly remember being played on the radio here in D.C. was Closer Than Close. 
Oh yeah. So talk about that. You move you move over to Omni and you you put out a great album. I love this album. Uh talk about that that uh that particular that that single and talk about uh, you know uh some of the artists um uh some of the artists that you work with on that uh that closer than close project. Wow, you know, um another Philadelphia label, Omni. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They were distributed by by um Atlantic. Okay. We are, you know, Warner Brothers Electric Electra Atlantic. Right, we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were distributed by them. And um I remember my uh my manager then mentioned because because this news guy had told who who went to school in Atlanta was good friends with Grover Washington Jr. Mm. And and he mentioned to me that I should hook up with Grover, you know, since I'm on these labels in 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 Philly. Right. Grover was was a first, you know, a favorite son of Philadelphia. Exactly. Yeah. And um my my manager got got us together. Mm-hmm. And it was simpatico. I mean, like we were kindred spirits. And um so that was how Ro- Grover produced the first my two albums on Atlantic. Cause you know, wow. we met, yeah, we met and uh now closer to close with number one. Yeah. With number one. So so here you are. You've been in the you know, at this time you've been in the music business, you know, as far professionally, uh as a professional recording artist at this time, what are we talking, 16, 17 years. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. You get your first number one hit. Now talk about that. Was that long overdue? And you know, what was that feeling like? Like, whew, here we go. Number one. <laughs> well. It was it was cool, although, like I said, I I never aimed that way. You know, I, I just aimed to, I I go by the reactions of of my live yeah. my my live crowds and, mm. and they love don't let it go. I mean, don't let it go to your head. They sang that in Japan. You know, they they loved it everywhere. That's a classic. Yeah. So now now speaking of, I gotta go back to that. You know, you, you you brought up. I'm glad you brought that up, and I meant to I meant to mention this earlier. That song has been sampled by so many hip hop artists. Yeah. You know, most notably, uh, Brand Nubian. Uh, off the top of my head, I know Brand Nubian sampled that, yeah. and, and, and a lot of other hip hop artists. So, how do you feel about that? Just did you ever uh, realize the impact that that was, that song was going to have on uh, not just the rhythm and blues community? But as far as the hip hop community as, uh, as a whole, didn't know, didn't know, had no no clue, but it it just blew me away because um, somebody introduced me to who sampled, <laughs> and I couldn't believe how many artists the sampled that song. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's a long brand new, brand new yeah. Oh, uh, so so many, yeah. so many artists. Yeah. Did did and they still person. sample? They still sample it to this day. Yeah, and you know what else got got big samples and still does? Um, I'm back for more. Oh, back for more. That's and I did with Al Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was off his solo project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact, Norman Connors produced that. 
they they did it they recorded it in LA and they had finished the album and they didn't have a strong single okay. so I was in Atlanta uh they called me uh to come out you know and, and work with them on on the, the single okay and and we looked for a song we found I'm back for more on an old Tavares album mm. You know, it, it it was never a single, right? For them, so I went to L.A. to produce the vocals. Al did the track. You know, Al was that genius. You know, that's a, that's another great singer right there. Uh, wow. Former former uh, lead, uh, lead singer the the Unifix here in D.C. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, in fact, I put uh, the Unifix open for me at the at the Ella Fitzgerald Theater. Okay. Three years ago, I guess it was, um, for Ella Fitzgerald's Centennial Celebration. Oh, that's awesome! Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and they sang "I'm Back for More" with me. <laughs> now that song was with me. The, that song was a hit as well. It didn't go number one, but that song, uh, you know, it did pretty good on the charts. You know? Oh, and Europe. Yeah. Europe? It's as big as don't let it go to your head for me. So, so talk about that. I want to switch gears for a second. I want to switch gears. It seems like in Europe, they have a certain appreciation for rhythm and blues that I feel like the United States once had. Now, you know, and now when I'm when I say that, I'm not saying that the United States don't appreciate rhythm and blues. I just feel like in Europe, they preserve it you know you know they preserve rhythm and blues here in the states if we don't hear you on the radio or if you're not in our face eh, you know and 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 that's that's not everybody doesn't have that um you know that that mindset but it just seemed like in europe you know because i'm really close with uh shirley jones son uh, cam cam yeah and, and, and you know who who shout out to cam jones by the way who set this interview up shout out to cam that's you, right. Appreciate that. Got to give you a special shout out, Cam. Yeah, nephew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got to give a special shout out to Cam Jones. But me and him were talking about that. And we were just talking about, you know, like, you know, he's telling me how his, in, in, in Europe, you know, his mom is you, his mom, you guys, it's almost as if you, it's 1978, 1979 over there. Like, you know, not saying that you, you know, we love you over here. Let's not, Make no mistake about it. Yeah. But in Europe, they act like closer than close just came out yesterday. They certainly do. <laughs> so talk about that. I know I'm a little long-winded. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little excited because I'm talking to Jane Khan. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> but talk about that. Cause me and me and Cam have these conversations all the time. And I, you know, and I even had this conversation when I interviewed his mom, when I interviewed Shirley. But you know, I have I have you on here. So what is your uh, take on that, you know. They just they're just one of those unique markets. Right. That that like you said, they don't care if you haven't had a hit in 40 years. They don't care. They've got these categories. Rare grooves. <laughs> and they and when you the <laughs> so yeah. And so. when your records used to come out there instead of instead of whatever single the US had released. Right. When when they get over there, 
they choose their own singles. I know Shirley, Shirley might have mentioned to you that that we when when we prepare to go to Europe, we have to study the songs that were their singles that they like that yeah. we never have to do over here. <laughs> talk, elaborate on that a little bit because that's interesting that you mentioned that because I noticed when I look at the the the, the hits in the United States, because I also had this conversation with Russell Tompkins. And then I look at the hit exactly. that in Europe, they're different. Like, I'm like, what is going on here? Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> they, they have their own ears, their own favorites, their own <sighs> likes and dislikes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like I said, when, when your record comes out 40 years ago, they choose their singles. I like that. And they and and the folks, you know, the folks that come to see you, they do a lot of standing over there. You know, there are few tables and chairs, except right. in, in smaller, smaller venues. But mm -hmm. even those, they tend to do, they tend to have have some tables and chairs around the wall. But mm -hmm. but the most of the audience is standing shoulder to shoulder. And they don't mind. For an hour and a half. And they don't mind. And they sing every word with you. Right. And for those songs that you do, that you had to study, they know them better than you do. <laughs> They're so cool like that. Even even down to the uh, the ad libs. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the Because you, you're, you're known, you know, you're known for for your, your ad libs, you know, uh, especially on one of one of my favorite uh, songs. You 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 covered um, ah, about the spinners. Um, love don't love nobody. Uh, oh, that is my oh, I, I I I can't put it above the spinners, but it's neck and neck. Yeah, that, that's neck. It, it's, but, but, I, but I say that to say this: no other cover of that song holds a candle to your version. No other no other cover of that song holds a candle to your version, in my opinion. Okay. You know. So I love, you know, and that's, I, lo I love that song. Like, you know, you. when you, when you recorded that, you know, ah, wow. You know, what was that? And talk about that a little, like when you, what made you record that song? You know, because at that time, that song is, I believe, what we're talking, seven, eight years old at easily, the time. Easily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it just, it just. And that's a Tom, that's a Tom Bell uh, uh, track. No. Tom did the arrangement. That song was written by Joe Jefferson. Joe Jefferson and Charlie Simmons. And and, uh, and Bruce Halls. Did he was he on that one too? Oh, that's right, Bruce. Yeah, all, all three of them used to they work did, They did Sadie too. All yep, together. Yep. Well, they they pretty much brought I say about seventy five percent of those those Spinner songs. But so so yeah, yeah. So talk about that. Talk about what made you want to uh, cover that song because at that time. I don't believe no artist covered that song, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. Not at that time. Not at that time. Um, it, it just spoke to me. And I, I started singing it on my shows. And and it got to the point where, you know, if I didn't do it on a show, you uh -huh. know, they shout it out. So I'd have to do it. So so I I ended up recording it. But you know whose version I adore? Whose? Bill Perry. Yeah, he does a good version too. 
Oh no, he does a great version. He does great. He does. He does a great version. He covers some some really good songs. He, uh, his he version of a, of uh, "Call Me" by Aretha Franklin. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yes, it's insane what he does when he covers a song. He, it's he's like, his is his covering a song is like Luther's covering a song. Oh my God, he owns it. He owns it. I, 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 that one slipped my mind right there because you know, "Call Me" was a number one hit, so that that really stood out. But uh, yeah, you're right. The, his his version was pretty was 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 excellent as well. You know? Yes, yes, yeah, because yeah, that song spoke to me like like ain't no way did you know that that Aretha did that I <clears throat> redid. Okay, so so speaking of Aretha, you know, talk about some of your contemporaries, you know, some of your peers. Who are some of uh, your favorite artists that you know outside of you recording or you working with? Uh, you working with who did you you know have a uh, enjoy you know going you know going to uh, watch in you know in concert? Oh, well, everybody loves the emotions. Uh, Hutchinson sisters. Yes, yes. Uh, Jeffrey Osborne, because we've been on the road together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. Um, my cousin, Peebo Bryson. Oh, that's your cousin. Yeah, we were on the, he, he, he came back from his, his, his cardiac incident, and yeah. the uh, Soul Train cruise was okay. his, first, his first foray. You know, he got back. Right, right, there. right. Still sounds sounds like an angel. Just like you, it, it, it must run in the family because you know you sound amazing. You know, I recently I saw you. I believe uh, I was watching you on YouTube uh, live, and this was you. I don't remember exactly where you were performing, but this was maybe a couple of years ago. And I'm like, King Khan ain't miss a beat. She sound like it's 1979. <laughs> so 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 talk about that. Like, how do you you know maintain you know, the quality and the richness of your voice, you know, what do you do to preserve that? Oh boy. I'm, I'm a vocal coach. So I have to show other folks how to, you know, preserve and, and maintain and, and, and improve on, on, right. on their vocals. So, you know, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs, yeah, no, yeah. no, none of that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I never learned to drink. So, I didn't have to get off alcohol. Well, I'm pretty sure you've seen some things that made you, and we're not going to go into detail, but, you know, I'm pretty sure just, you know, being in the business, you know, that made you not want to even ever go down that direction. Yeah. And I, and alcohol is an acquired taste. I'm convinced. So if you never try it, you never like it. Okay. okay. Same, same way with smoking, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, now I'm thinking. I drew. You, it probably looked like I drew a blank, but I, I actually did because I didn't realize like what you said is is true. It is an acquired taste because it's either you like it or you don't like it. And with most people who, you know, who don't drink alcohol, they, you know, or one, or some, or most people that try alcohol say like one time and they don't like it, they never touch it again. Well, I guess so, because yeah. I, I had some by accident when I was playing for church choirs. I was a teenager. Okay. And I only took communion at the churches that had grape juice. Okay. Uh, and 
once I remember I'm sitting there at the organ at the B3 and took communion and they must have changed to wine. And I, you know, I couldn't tell the difference in the taste. I never tasted it. Right, right. Okay. But, but maybe 10 minutes later, my stomach starts to roll. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I thought I was having a heart attack. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that we can vividly remember, you know, like, yeah. like I'm, I'm pretty sure that was well over 50 years ago. Yeah, but like, where were you in nine one one? You know, I can vividly, I vividly remember that. Yeah, it was one of those traumas, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was like, wow, yeah. I really don't like that stuff, you know. Hey, well, I'm glad you drank at my house, so I didn't grow up, you know, with okay, with with alcohol. So, well, I'm glad. I, I'm glad you 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 did not divulge in in, in that type of uh, activity because. Your voice, you know, whatever you do to maintain your voice, it is working. <laughs> and and I had no idea that your vocal coach. So now I want to ask this question: Like being a vocal coach, do you have to be able to sing to be a vocal coach? Well, it helps. It helps. It's according to what you're teaching to whom. Uh, to because I've got some 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 clients that I have to unteach bad habits bad vocal habits and unteach um things that they did to be able to to perform certain genres right you know you have to help them to change their vibrato sometimes you got to teach them how to breathe um enunciation and, mm-hmm. and so it's it's according to who you're who you're working with at the time but i started that when i was 12 when i started playing piano and organ for church choirs because if you're preparing for a big you know for a big work like like the messiah Mm -hmm. you've got you know you've got to sing all the parts right in section rehearsal you got to sing all you got to sing the bass to the bass player to the bass singers and then then you got to sing to the coloraturas as well and the altos and and so it's it all started then because and and when you're when you're doing choirs, you got folks with crazy vibrato, you know, vibrato that will just make your flesh crawl. <laughs> you got to teach them how to smooth out the, you know, the 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 wave, okay, and make it more palatable, you know. So what? what, what so so what? What, uh, what are you? You you are also, if I'm not mistaken. I'm. I sing from baritone to coloratura soprano. Okay. 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 So who are some of the uh the artists that you have worked with as far as like, you know, vocal training? If you don't mind, you know, um... well, of course, Phyllis, Glenn Jones, Ada Retha, Michael, Michael Henderson. Okay. When we when we rehearse, uh when we're doing gigs together, he he lectures the band, he said, no, you listen to Miss Carn because she taught me. Right, right. Yeah. Um, is Mike? Is Michael still? Is he still playing the bass and singing to this day? Yeah, yeah. And hey, we go. We gonna have to talk uh, 
Jay, because <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge just like I'm a huge fan of you. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Michael Henderson as well. But yeah, so continue. Uh, um, you said Michael Henderson. You said Glenn. I just interviewed Glenn Jones uh, by the way as well too. Yeah, because um, on a Norman Connors album was where Glenn sang is recorded his first music because we were looking for a singer to a male singer to replace one of his singers that it that it left you know left his organization norman hold on hold on you telling me that you worked with glenn jones on uh ah, what's it called uh, melancholy fire exactly no way yeah he was a gospel yeah. singer in yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was out he of uh work a cassette with james cleveland yeah and i chose him as oh, the as goodness. the replacement from for for this singer who had been singing with Norman, man, um, this is amazing. And and I remember the lyrics were melancholy fire in my heart desire for you, baby. Yeah, yeah. Glenn was so so church at the time till it was like I can't sing that lyric. So I changed the lyric to melancholy fire in my heart desire just for you and he was cool <laughs> okay and he was cool and he's just made us so proud ever since you know? what do you think about his vocal performance like at the, like you know when he you know towards the end of that song when he just take it to another level you that was that's 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 all you yeah. how proud are you you know because you know i listen to his his uh you know the uh his 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 albums or music with the modulation it was some great stuff don't get me wrong but that song right there and which i had no idea that you worked with him on that you know it really showcased his vocal talent so talk to me a little bit how proud of you with, 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 uh, 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 glenn on that uh, song oh totally i mean that was that was his his maiden voyage right into secular music introduction yeah and yeah he took it and ran with it no, he did. Yeah, he took yeah. that baton and was gone, you know. He did. He did. <laughs> and he's still doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I interviewed him uh, maybe three weeks ago, and he still sounds amazing. He still, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he still says. So I wanna, I wanna, I wanna touch on this uh, topic because this is something I, I can't uh, leave. I can't wrap this interview up without mentioning this. I was watching a documentary a while ago. And it was on the Dungeon Family, and Rico Wade and uh, you know the other guys, man. They said that they used to come over the house when you know in Atlanta. So talk about your relationship with the with the Dungeon Family, because I had no idea that these and they they were telling me how influential you were in their development. So talk about you know working with the uh, Rico Wade and you know the guy, you know those those brothers in the Dungeon Family. Yeah, well. Um Cam, no Gip, because his name's Cameron Gip, in in um, in the Goody Mob. Goody Mob, yeah, yeah, lived lived in our quadrangle, uh, and 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 Rico, Rico Wade, yeah, they they we all you know they all went to school with my kids, so they rode with us, you know we um, we would we would do the the carpooling and stuff. Okay, so it was at my son started a studio in our house. I, I built two storage rooms 
you know, when Sam's and Costco and all those 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 heavy bulk item stores started, right? I, I built two storage rooms onto the side of the house. Okay. I'm on the I'm on the road. My son empties one. I don't know what he did with my stuff. Wow. He empties one and set up, took all my my tape recorders, all all my musical equipment, my keyboards, speakers, etc and set him up a studio and and he, <laughs> he he did he he did his own version of 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 sampling of looping okay. by using three or four tape recorders and then putting it all on a on a t-act you know on a real oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it was and you know and cam and and rico and and those kids were his playmates and so they played at our house because you know yeah. he could always come come to our house. That's what he said. Was always there, and the sliding glass door was always open. My mother was there. If you forgot your keys, if you couldn't get in your house, your parents knew you come to our house. You know to pick you up after you know after school. Okay. So, so they all got their exposure, and it was during the Gulf War. Uh, Joey put put together this group and Cam and Rico and, and those guys were in there and they they wrote a song about he wrote a song about the, the boys coming back you know from the war and that kind of thing and and they they all you know you could you could come to Joey's studio even if he wasn't home and and they all got their first exposure you know, and, and of this, course this they learn their manners at my house. You, know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't learn, you don't cuss, you don't drink, yeah. you don't smoke. You know, you learn all because if 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 I think Gene doesn't do it, you can't do it. So no doubt. Yeah, they they got their got their start there. Yeah, that was interesting. That you know, I watched that documentary. I believe a couple of uh, maybe back in 2018, and I was shocked. I had no idea, you know, that they that. They had association with the legendary Gene Khan. I was like, wow, you know, and now I can I can hear, you know, like when I listen to that music. So, you know, did you did you guys ever have any conversation? Did you what was their did you ever get to see like their foresight, you know, as far as like music? You know, did you ever realize like these guys are about to be the next big thing? Because this is before the Dungeon family. There was no Dungeon oh, family. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. At, yeah. at this time, it's yeah. way before that. Yeah, this was like. They were, they were elementary school when. Well, no, they were middle school when yeah. they started. When, when Joey started that, but they they were just cool kids and they did their thing, you know. And, and Joey taught them everything he knew, yeah. and you know they got to you know they got to hear me and hear my new records and 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 it they just they just grew from there. No doubt, no doubt. So so you know here we are. You know you you. You uh, released, you know, three more projects uh, uh, after that. I can't go through every single project because we'd be here all night. And, I'm, you know, but, you, you know, you continue to sing. You continue to bless us with your, uh, your, 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 your grace, your beauty, as far as, you know, just being able to give us this quality music. How do you feel? What, what inspires you in 2021 to still want to release music and still want to just continue to sing? Yeah. Well, 
I don't know. It's 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 so much a part of me. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm healthy. I I still love the music. And you look amazing, by the way. If I didn't say that, I don't, I don't know if I say that way too many times, but you you look amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and the audience is still calling for us, no. you know, and they still show up. I mean, they yeah. really show up. So what's the what's the what's the next what's the what's the next uh, the next plan? You know, because it seems like things are starting to open up. You it know, does, doesn't but, it? Yeah. You know, the weather's the weather's. I mean, today here in D.C. I mean, it was like 75 degrees and people are getting their vaccines and, you know, things are starting to get some type of semblance of a normalcy, so to That's speak. True. That's true. So, so what do you think about all of that? You know, and what's your what's your, 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 your plans in the future? Well, my next planned situation is September. Okay. It was supposed to happen last last May. Gotcha. But, but it's going to be in September. It's the Portugal uh, Soul Weekender. Mm. Yeah, and it's, you know, in Portugal, and Tough. it's the 23rd through the 27th. No doubt. I think by then, and it's all, all outdoors. It's okay. An outdoor situation. And I think by then, because everybody I know, you know, all the band members, everybody is okay. getting getting their vaccines. And so... That's that's that one I'm 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 looking forward to and and there'll be other situations as it feels right. You know, mm. like I said, I don't even go to the grocery store. So, you know, I'm scared to get out there. But this one, this one I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing, you know, uh, you know, whether you uh do some, you know, new music or you know, in concert performing, I look forward to seeing you, hearing your voice one way, shape, or form. You know, <laughs> it don't matter. You know, I want I want to hear some Gene Khan, you know. So so with all that said, what is you know, what are you most proud of, you know, as far as you know, your career? When you look back and you 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 think of where this all uh started from, and now here we are, you know, did you ever realize that? You know that you would have accomplished all that you accomplished in the uh, the the music industry that you have. Wow. Well, like I I might be more more proud of my children than I am of of what I've accomplished in in the business. Okay, I can respect that. The business is cool, but 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 my kids are are really really my pride and joy, and they they have accomplished. Mm. You know, Far beyond, you know, my my dreams. So no doubt, no doubt. That's a that's a healthy balance, though. You know, that's I, a lot of, you know, what I what I when I ask artists that, um, you're not the first artist that mentioned that, you know, and I and I like that. And it, it, to me, when artists uh, talk about things of that nature, it, it it shows, you know, the humility, and that's one thing you know I love about artists like yourself, artists like Shirley Jones. You know, you guys, I, you know, my, my next question would have been, you know, well, I'm going to ask it, you know, just what makes you, you know, what keeps you so grounded? Because, you know, here you are, you Gene Karn, and, you know, you're talking to me, you're taking time out of your schedule to talk to me, and I really appreciate it, you know. So what keeps you so grounded knowing that all that you have accomplished in your career? Well, I, I think my, my mother's teachings, okay. you know, have kept me grounded all, all my life, you know, it's 
it's just just those those little those little gems that right. you know that she mentions as you're growing up you know and and having been in front of crowds all my life like when i when like at, at four when i was singing solos in church right she would you know she would introduce me to to, to families who would come from little georgia towns to to hear you know to hear me sing solos at mm -hmm. four so it you know i guess i guess it's when it starts that early you don't get to develop an ego it's just your job and and you you take it like it is. I know that's right. I know that's right. With, with Jane, is there any, you know, like I said, we, we, we here in 2021, music has uh, changed a lot over the past, you know, since you, you know, since, uh, you know, your, your, your prime recording years, or just, I'll just say, you know, the past 30 years, you know, um, you know, who are you listening to right now? Oh, who am I listening to? Well, I, I like to listen. I like to listen to the, Philly catalog, the Motown catalog, the Stax catalog. Ooh, can't go wrong with them. Yeah, and of course, of course <laughs> you know, like, like, like the Atlanta kids, you know, like the the Goody Mob and the Dog Pound and and okay. and, and, and um, Andre and you know and and C yeah. and, and those oh, kids that, you know, that I knew since they were they were children. I, I like them. Okay. Hey, 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 you can't go wrong with those guys. And, you know, just being in, 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 in your presence, I can see where they get that soulfulness, where, where they can get, where they, out, where they get some of that soulfulness from, because it definitely rubbed off. Because these guys, as you know, they, these guys are legends as well. Aren't they something? Yeah. 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 And, and you was there. You was there at the beginning. Atlanta Pride. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so look, Jane, it's been a pleasure talking with you having this opportunity to sit down and talk with one of my favorite vocalists of all time you know words i'm at a loss of words i really i'm at a loss of words i can't believe that I i'm asking all your that. words away that's what <laughs> no no, I no. <laughs> you've exhausted your whole vocabulary that's what no, I'm just, a fan. you know, I like, I'm a diehard music fan and, and this is no way shape, you know, that's one, one of the beauties of technology. I would have never thought that, you know, I would be talking to Jane, you know, I played your music over and over again and it just, you know, your voice, your tone, and, and you have this distinctive, distinctiveness that I love about you and, you know, I mean, I can still see it today when I just, you know, you gave me a little tidbit and, you ain't. I didn't hear you, you. You didn't miss a beat. So, with all that said, man, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to you know that you took the time out of your busy schedule to you know come with uh you know come sit down with us here at Bridge of the Generation Podcast, and we love you. Um, looking forward to many great things in the future. If you if anything that you that you do now, Jane, let's say this. Let me say this. It's just icing on the cake. It's just a it's a bonus because you already a legend in our eyes. And we love you, and I'll, I'm gonna give you your flowers. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, look, we about to get out of here. I'm gonna lock our reef. This is Bridging the Generation podcast. We have the lovely, the talented, the amazing Mrs. Jean Khan. We signing out. Any last things you want to say before we get out of here, Jean? Oh gosh, just I want everybody to stay safe 
And I look forward to seeing everybody on the other side of the crisis. No doubt, no doubt. Well, it looked like things is getting a little better. You yes, know, we, we got we got Biden, we got Kamala Harris. It's, 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 things get a little better. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so look, we signing out. Thank you, Jane. You take care. You have a good night. We love you. Take care. All righty. All right. Good night. Good night. Right. Thank you.